0: Welcome to the eighth episode of the Thirst is Real podcast. I am in Jones County, Georgia today at Piedmont Calls and I'm with Mr. John Peterson. And he is a absolute amazing call maker. He makes everything from grunt tubes, uh, predator calls, coyote calls. I mean, just a plethora of things. It's all handmade, all custom. It's just they're amazing calls and uh we're just super excited to talk to him about you know hunting in general but we're also going to learn a little bit more today about calling and what to look for in a good call versus a bad call and just man we to learn how to talk to deer and turkeys so um well john thanks for being here dude yeah man so um man would you say you're more of a turkey or a deer hunter
1: i'm probably more of a deer hunter uh You'd ask me that question four or five years ago, I probably would have said turkey, but uh the turkey population around here has, has been in a little bit of decline, and uh, I've gotten really big into uh, traditional archery you know, probably about the last year and a half, and, and that's given me a whole new leash on deer hunting. So it's like a recurve, handmade recurve bow? No, it's actually old 1970 uh, Shakespeare Nakata. Nakata, uh, okay. the same Shakespeare that made fishing rod, rods. Really? at one time, actually was was big into uh, archery.
0: You know, I'm a, I'm a Zebco and Shakespeare guy. That's <laughs> those are my those, and well, and you know Shimano too. Those are yeah. those are my three go-tos when it comes to fishing. You know, I've always had a lot of respect for people who had you know they use recurve bows. That's just, I mean, <laughs> it's all you. <laughs> it's-
1: yeah, that that's the thing. You know, when when I was hunting with a compound, like. When you miss the deer, miss the target, you could blame everything but you. But when you shoot a recurve, you don't have nobody to blame but you.
0: Y'all <laughs> oh, man, this thing wasn't shimmed right, nah, dude. You're the shim. Yeah. You're the cam. Yeah. You're everything. So, dude, that's that's awesome, man. So that, so you've ba- basically been more. You've been more traditional recurve style uh, hunting lately um you ever you've not really ever been much of a rifle guy
1: oh i still rifle hunt i i'm not i'm not good enough of a traditional bow hunter to completely uh lay down that rifle yet no
0: man i i don't think i'll ever be a good enough archer to even if i do get to be good at being an archer i think i'll always i always i just love it man i just i think it's when you start that way it's kind of hard to ever really put it down so yes it is dude that's awesome well um man so can you tell us a little bit like how did you get into the call making how did that even start Well it was it was really a uh it's almost a personal testimony
1: um I have uh, well, backing up to uh when I was probably 12 13 years old actually uh we went to a church meeting in North Georgia and there was a man there named Lynn Yu um Lin was very well known in Louisiana for making uh actual carved duck calls and turkey calls and he brought some to this camp meeting, and uh, he had two calls laid on the table for, for us to look at. One was a, a wing bone turkey call, and the other was a uh, hand carved box call. A hand carved box call had a uh, was almost three dimensional looking. The paddle on it had a uh, uh, angel, and it I mean it literally looked 3D like the angel was coming out of the top of the box call, and and these was not calls that you would you would ever take to the turkey woods. These was calls you know that was built for collectors. Right, right. But man, they 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 really really stuck with me and was a big impact. Now, Lynn Yule doesn't know me, probably doesn't know me from Adam. I hadn't seen him in right. years and years. But but that was just that one meeting with him was a was a very positive influence. Um. Also, uh, probably I don't know, probably about two or three years later, I'd ordered some box call kits out of the back of a hunting magazine and uh i i built them you know with some minimal tools they was okay they wasn't unexceptional, exceptional and i, I kind of got frustrated with it a little bit and uh put it down never fooled with it much anymore wound up killing a couple of turkeys with those old box calls and uh fast forward to the last couple of years I, i've really been thinking hard about what my uh legacy is gonna be and whether in 30 years when, when I get ready to retire if if I'm gonna be happy with with what I have accomplished and you know during the, the span of my work years and that's something that's been weighing on me pretty heavy and then uh when corona hit it 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 went into high drive and I started praying about it pretty hard I I wanted to start a business and and I wasn't sure what direction to really go in and, and I think that that uh God answered my prayers. One day I I, I remembered them box calls and I was like, man, I want to try making some making some calls. Yeah. And uh, next thing I know, I was looking at lathes and quickly found out I had a uh, caviar taste on a hamburger budget when it comes to uh, yeah. some woodworking stuff. And uh, bought me a cheap Chinese lathe and slowly started accumulating tools. And uh, you know, one of the things that one of the things I've heard is. You know, sometimes you have to meet God halfway when it comes to things. And, uh, I'm, I'm, you know, I went from deer hunting every day. This was last deer season. I went from deer hunting every day to just uh, putting that stuff on hold because cause I really wanted to uh, get good at this. And, and I felt like that this might possibly be, you know, my calling. Yeah. And uh, so from December to january march every every moment that i had i was probably spending you know from daylight till dark in the shop uh turning calls i made a lot of bad ones but i made some good ones every now and then too
0: yeah for sure man you know uh our mutual friend my buddy alan you know uh he he kind of hooked us up and um he let me try your grunt call and um i you know me I, i i i'm i'm a really very ultra critical of any kind of call. I mean, if it doesn't sound like the r- exact thing, you know, if it doesn't sound like the right animal, like I can't, I just, I don't even want to, there's plenty of times I've left the grunt tubes at home just because they're nowhere even close. I, um, I mean, I have grunted in before with them, but, you know, uh, but your grunt call is so almost dead nuts exact, you know, and I, I man, I, I definitely think, <laughs> I definitely feel like, yeah, God called you to the right thing. Cause dude, I, I swear you make some of the best calls I've heard. And, and you know, and I'm, I'm, i wanna, we're, gonna, we're definitely going to go through them in a little while, but I just, you know, it, it, they're, they're incredible. So, um, I, so, I mean, speaking of kind of like, I, I mean, can you tell me your experience? Like when you've been in the woods and you've been hunting and I, I know for me, uh, I, I've heard deer, you know, make all kinds of noises. But, you know, I I really feel like the deer have a certain, it's not always the same either, I think. And it is, it's almost like, I feel like a lot of these uh, mainstream calls, they kind of, there's a lot of lack and what, what they are. And I think that's probably due to production, uh, having to do it on a mass scale uh, to save costs. And, you know, and I get all that and, you know, and, 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 you know, the only call I know of as far as grunt calls are concerned is the extinguisher? Um, it's pretty close. I mean, in some respects, but like, and uh, I think uh, you know, old Roger Raglan. I don't know if you've ever watched this stuff growing up. Yeah, you know, Jiminy Christmas. Yeah, <laughs> that guy. He makes a pretty neat, pretty decent grunt call. Uh, but, but I've never heard anybody make a grunt tube that sounds like yours. That's that close to an actual deer, um, and. and I, I just i mean is that do you think when you were developing the your your for your grunt tube was it more i mean how did you kind of formulate i guess what you were going for to sound and and all that how does that, i mean i I know that's a loaded question but <laughs>
1: well, I mean a lot of it's just in tuning the call like you said with with the mass produced calls you know they they're trying to generically cover you know a wide spectrum of of uh hunting calls and they're not really uh they, they serve their purpose but they're not they're not uh most of them are not great all-around call. And, and if you look at them even the quality on some of them is 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 sadly lacking they're they're, they're not something that like here's if if you lose them tomorrow you ain't gonna lose no sleep over no, you know no that's that's how i feel about um, my calls the thing about when, when you make a call individually, I'm not going to let it leave. I'm not going to let it leave the shop unless it's it's 100% and sounds like I want it to. And uh, because I turn each one individually, then I spend the individual time with each call tuning it.
0: Right, right. I think that's what makes a, a custom shop, you know, 100% better than any kind of... I mean, it's, and that goes for, I think, anything in the outdoor world. I mean, when you got a guy who's putting all this time and effort and craftsmanship into it, I mean, it's going to be a hundred percent, you know, it's going to be what you're looking for. Um, man, uh, I, I, you know, I know when I've been hunting and I, and I've listened to and I listened to deer, um, you know, our, my good buddy, Ryan, who, uh, Weaver, who was on our uh, first episode, one of the things he said that the best thing anybody can do, especially a whitetail hunter when it comes to calling is go sit at a, if you can, if you have a deer farm nearby, go sit at a deer farm and just sit there for about an hour or two and listen and just listen you will be shocked uh, i mean because a lot of people i think they have this uh incorrect notion that whitetails don't they're not very vocal at all they don't make any noise and if you do try to call you know you're going to spook them and you know again and i happen to think my grunting and rattling uh, you know i think i'm pretty decent at both but yeah <laughs> you know, uh i've had a lot of success with it but on a call, I don't trust. You know, on top of that, but yeah. uh, but whitetails are very vocal. they you know, a, a lot of times I think uh, you know you got it's it's either one end of the spectrum or the other. You got a guy who is all about calling; he'll call all the time, and I think you got other guys that are just like I'm not calling, period, because it's just going to spook the deer. Every time I've ever pulled a, up a grunt tube, I've always spooked them. You know, I mean, what would you say to like people like I mean that are a little timid about using this, specifically deer calls?
1: Well, I, I think you know if you if you view deer in like a, a say a large field if you hunt, if you ever hunt fields much and you bow hunt um, and you see a bunch of does come out a lot of times they're you're right they're very very vocal, um, but if you listen to them it, it's a lot of it's pretty subtle you really got to be listening to hear it. they're 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 not very loud at all and I think some people tend to uh, call too loudly
0: yeah absolutely. Um,
1: and, you know, a, a grunt tube is a tool just like anything else. It can help or it can hinder you. One of the things that I think is important, especially if you have, say, some, uh, some... You might... You can potentially spook deer with a grunt tube. Oh, absolutely. Or, or with ru- uh, rattling. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the main ones you risk spooking are subordinate bucks. Yeah. You know, because if you got a sub- subordinate buck bedded down there and then all of a sudden, you you know, you got, you know big daddy over there grunting and that might influence his decision to leave that area (laughs) (laughs) i know absolutely um but and another thing that i I believe that you have to be uh careful of is you know is hunting the wind because it doesn't matter whether you're hunting you know deer or predators or anything that you know makes us living with its nose if it especially subordinate deer they're gonna come in with that wind in their favor. If they think there's mm-hmm. a deer there that, that is is not you know a normal deer in the area, then they're probably gonna come in, you know, with a with a wind in their face so they can kind of assess the situation before they come in. So if if you are not sure exactly of where your bedding area is, then err on the side of caution and you know, don't call don't be extremely vocal with it because Deer know exactly where you are when you call. They they know you down to the, to almost a square foot. Mm-hmm. So it you know calling works. Just don't overdo it to the point where they can you know pinpoint
0: you. Right. Yeah. To, to exact location. Absolutely. I mean, I, I I'm I'm more of when I set up to do a rattle and a grunt sequence, and I don't really don't grunt much when I rattle. Uh, you know, if anything, I snort wheeze, and I, I don't. I, I see these snort wheeze calls, and I. <laughs> I just go, you know, such a waste of material (laughs) time. I mean, how much money are you trying to make? Uh, But you know, because I mean, snortweeze is—it's just anybody can do it with their mouth, and it's not hard to mess up. You know, I mean, it's easy to—it's not even—I don't think you even can mess it up. I mean, because they—it's not—it's not not a hard sound. But uh, when—but anyway, when it comes to uh, rattling and even grunting, like I'll try to make sure I'm hunting a crosswind. I guess when I, I or a side of the wind. You know, basically what I mean by that is like. You know, maybe the wind's not dead in my face, but I might be hunting where the wind is either going to my west or it's going to my east or whatever. I guess if you were to think about it that way, I mean, I'm, I'm all, I'm, you know, I guess it's crossing me in front of me one way or the other tip. And, you know, and usually I make sure there's some kind of backstop or something where my scent is going to kind of drift into like a big, big old brush pile or something like that. And, uh, and, and that's kind of what I, you know, or even behind me, even because with rattling, it just seems like it don't really matter what you do with rattling. You know, I've had bucks that will come up, f- up to me. Uh, I mean, they, they will find a way around you and not even from a wind perspective. I've noticed, I mean, they will try to literally get up under you if yeah. they can. I think I'll never forget. I mean, one of the best experiences I ever had with rattling and grunting, uh, my dad and I were hunting a, uh, <laughs> my dad had access to hunt this place that was going to be developed into a subdivision and we were the only people allowed to hunt it. And we went in there and, uh, I was on the ground and I think what makes rattling is specifically, and even, you know, even, you know I, to a point grunting is, you know, the realism of it. I think if the deer r- feel like that's a real fight happening, they'll definitely come into it. So, I mean, that means you need to be able to, you need to be able to kick leaves, um you need to be able to you know i, I don't think you need to go crazy like the, you know there's this, that video on tiktok and facebook where you got the guy that's bare monkey barrel rolling all over the place yeah. it don't need to be that extreme but it definitely you know you definitely need to kick you know it wouldn't hurt hurt to kick a little stump it wouldn't hurt to you know kick some leaves around as you're rattling but uh and, and i i will demonstrate all of this people in, in you know when deer season starts i keep saying i am going to do a video and i will do a video on it but they're um but in terms of calling, I guess, uh, yeah, I mean, you definitely have to set yourself up to be able to not be, you know, cause you can get ambushed by a deer just as quick as anything else. Um, but, um, yeah, I, I definitely think setup is a hundred percent correct. I mean, so uh, when, it, you know, when we talk about grunt calls, you know, one thing, um, I notice there, a lot of the calls where they, where they kind of come, come up short, um, you know, a buck specifically, I mean, and I mean, those too. but uh, a buck specifically, he'll have anything from like a higher, like, you know, like, and then he'll go everything to that, that low guttural, like, you know, just get, I'm doing a horrible job in my mouth with that, but, you know, but it, it there, it's almost like their pitch and their cadence will change. Yeah. You know, I mean, would you say that's, that yes. you, were, you see a lot of that?
1: Yeah. And you know, there's a, like you said, there's a lot of variance from deer to deer with, Mm-hmm. you know what you hear um you know when when i'm calling I, my favorite time to call is course, probably everybody else's too the, the rut when it's hot and heavy and uh you know somewhere else i think that, that people mess up in is not really putting enough of i guess you say emotion yeah don't just blow into the grunt tube like you know i use a lot I, sometimes i use back pressure with my hand mm-hmm. that, to uh and try to sound like a like a uh, especially with tending grunts, yeah, um, to sound like a deer is actively moving in pursuit of a doe.
0: Right, I I think a lot of guys it, the tending grunt is probably the most, in my opinion, the most effective. Yeah, because I mean, and, and it's just I think I see a lot of guys where they mess up when it comes to grunt, blowing in a grunt tube. It's it's always it's you know I never could have had a buddy of mine we were hunting with he was, that 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 was like dude, He's like that's tending grunt. I'm like no 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 no. Tendon grunts or <laughs> tendon grunts are actually kind of short, yeah. And, and I mean they're they're incons- they're in, they're consistent. And, I, and I'm a musician, so I think of it like a you know, for anybody who's a musician, it's a dotted eighth note, you know. So which is like basically a one kind of a one and a half to one beat sound. It's like bap, 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 yeah. And it's and and it and you know, but and I think a lot of guys too get hung up on. Well, if that's the tendon grunt sequence, I need to go do. Then they they feel like they have to do it in that sequence. And if you but if you ever listen to a buck tending a doe or chasing a doe, there's not a whole lot of pattern to it no. really in the wild. I mean, from what my I mean, would you have you say have you seen that too? I've
1: heard them. I've heard bucks chasing does that are just grunting every single step to yeah. just like you might just hear one or two. Yeah. You know, it, there's a lot of variation. And I, I try when I'm when I'm typically calling like a tending grunt. I try to. You know, it sounds like every breath almost. Yeah. They're they're making a grunt, and I only do like two or three of them, and
0: that's it. Yeah. You know. Right. Exactly. And, and I I think you know, um, a lot of guys too make that. They make a lot of they make a lot of mistakes. Um, you know, especially with the blind calling. You know, the blind calling. I mean, there's uh, there's a couple schools of thought on the blind call, but uh, I don't think people should be that afraid of it. Uh, it's not. You know. I mean, I've had does come in to grunt calls. I mean, it's. You know, again, and and people, the first thing they say, well, I'd love to shoot a big buck. I'd love to shoot any kind of buck, but I don't want to scare the does off because I really need to get a doe on the ground. Well, believe it or not, they're curious about the other deer walking there, even especially, I mean, even the pre-rut. I, I would even go as far as to say the post-rut, too. They they don't mind. Now, during the rut, yeah, I, I, I noticed those are a little spooky to cause because they're not exactly trying. Yeah. <laughs> They've already been run down so hard, so. yeah.
1: One of the things, one, uh, a uh, another call that that uh, people don't use very often that that's very effective uh, all up through bow season, pre rut, rut, is the uh, doe bleat. Yeah. Um,
0: Do you? Have you all started making doe bleats?
1: All my calls are fully adjustable.
0: Oh, really? So yep. you can adjust the read on your calls. Yep. Wow. I so I only use the buck. <laughs> yeah. I didn't know Alan. I thought Alan had a fixed one. So no. Okay. I'll have to. Oh, yeah. We're going to play here in a little while. <laughs>
1: right. uh, but, yeah, that's a very underutilized call. That can uh, potentially bring in does as well as bucks, you know, because does, does tend to be just as territorial sometimes as bucks. Oh, absolutely. Or, um, but you could even use that in conjunction with rattling. You yes. Know? Um, you know, like I said, grunt tubes, or tool. I think personally – a lot of times they're a lot more effective on private property than they are on public because yeah um they, they just get worn out on public land i've heard all kind of, i've heard guys that you could track where they was because they was blowing on a grunt tube and a deer stand clinging on their back at the same time you
0: know right you're more of a public land hunter so yeah uh, you know and we were kind of talking about that before we got started but you know they i think that <laughs> truer words have never been spoken when it comes to deer calling i think it's again nothing against public land. I'm sure you can be, I mean, I'm I'm sure you have been successful calling on public land, but it's kind of like you said, you got guys out there who, I mean, they don't know how to use a call. They never really, you know, they've seen videos, but, and I I think where they make a lot of, again, we talked about it right when we got started is you're kind of going too hard with it. And, And like on those hunting shows, I think what people don't realize and me being an audio engineer guy, uh, you know, they a lot of these shows, they have condenser, what they call condenser microphones. It picks up every little tiny little nuance. It's really loud. You got to remember that, you know, they're bringing the volume up on this TV show for you to hear it at a nominal level. And it's, believe it or not, a lot of those guys blowing the, these calls to these deer are not blowing them so loud that you can't, you know, it, it's not that, it's not really that way. I mean, it's like you, <laughs> excuse me, you're not going to, call the 180-inch buck on the end of the wheat field 400 yards away by, you know, I mean, yes, you need to do it to where he can hear it, but I don't think it's to the point where you're not blowing a duck call. I mean, it's not turkey. It's ain't a turkey call, you know? um, I mean, and uh, that's the other thing. Now, what do you you think about this? Now, I've heard so many different things on this, but and I I, I do tend to err on the side of caution, but uh, again, I've been successful with it. So, uh when you have let's say you've got a mature bucket you know in range or close to you you're almost you almost got him kind of all the way in he's there but he's not he's not in bow range or he's not in um he's not really exactly where you want him you want to bring him in a little closer a lot of guys say don't call period just don't do it. it just let it cut let it let it naturally progress uh i'm more of a if I can get him within my wheelhouse, or if I can get him close to me where I can shoot him, you know, I'll do it lightly. I will. I will not. You know, I do believe do not grunt at them. I don't think point the tube at them. I think kick it to the side, or you know, kind of you know, blow. It. If you can move your, if you can move your head, and not get busted. You know, throw it behind you if you can. Just, it, it, you know, just light, easy. You know, curiosity. I mean, what, what, what? I mean, that's my thought. What do you? What? What do you do? I try to always make
1: sure, like. If you're at a point where that deer's walking off, the battle's probably already lost anyway. Gotcha. So to me, it's, it's not going to hurt. Now, you also got to look at how much cover you got in a tree. And I try to put, if a deer's walking away from me, I, I try to put that deer in be, in between me and a tree, or you know, some hedgerow or some cover or something mm-hmm. um, before I call because you don't want them to turn around and and look right at you and stand and Peggy, you, you know. Their, um, their
0: ears, I have underestimated their ears for years. You know, I mean, you know, you we're all so sit for, I mean, whitetail hunters were so overly, you know, we are so obsessed with about <laughs> when it comes to scent, you know, that's all we think about is their nose, their nose, their nose. They can, they can, you know, bust you with their eyes. They can bust you with their ears just as good as any other animal.
1: Yeah, their ears, are, uh, their ears are pretty amazing, and it's, and it's crazy the things that on, like, certain pieces of land, it'll bother them, and then you got, you know, somewhere else that you can do anything. You know, you, <laughs> you drop something on the side of your stand, and it'll bounce three times, and five minutes
0: later, you got a deer up on your stand. I, I've thrown sunflower seeds at them before on one place, and then one place I have blinked, and they have taken <laughs> off. I mean, it's just it, – it's, it's so crazy to me how – Sometimes you do nothing. <laughs> yeah, It's just like, yep. they're just gone. And you, know, and you know they didn't smell you, you know? So like, yeah. how? I don't know. But uh, yeah, uh, I, I agree. The variation from it, that's a lot of thing, things I think people don't realize. I mean, we talked about that when we talked with Bruce Wiergen about uh, protein feed, minerals, and uh, just different types of attractants. I mean, what works in some places, it just won't work in, in some of these other spots. I mean, it just, for whatever, whatever reason, like I've got a place uh, and, and, uh, county an hour away from where I hunt. And, uh, it's completely different from my other property, you know, like they will absolutely annihilate the protein feed. They love it. Um, or the attracted, I guess you could say kind of works like, I don't know. It's like, it's cheating almost, but then the other, the other place, they're just not as into it. I mean, they will check it out. They will come into it, but I can pour it out this one place and they're coming. They'll be there. They'll be there within 45 minutes to an hour. at at the latest
1: yeah (laughs) so yeah even you know that's one thing with game calls like uh you don't ever hear deer around here like like you see these videos these deer you know up north and and in the midwest you know that are just i mean grunting snort wheezing uh you know we don't a lot of times we don't have opportunities to see that kind of stuff yeah uh down here like they do up there so um You know, there's a big variation, you know, from area to area as far as deer go. I don't know why, but there is. Oh,
0: man, I I think it's – I think, you know, we we – Sell them so short that that they're not as much like people, believe it or not. Yeah. Like I, and I, I think that comes with their vocalization as well. I mean, you might be in an area where the deer are very vocal; they 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 talk all the time. And then you got some; they're eh, probably a little more quiet, a little more timid. I don't know. Could, it also varies from deer to deer, I think too. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's everything from their diet, their palate, how well, whatever they think. Where they bed. Yeah. Um. You know, I got some one place, man. They'll. I mean, I think anywhere in Georgia, man, they will bed anywhere, you know, yeah. <laughs> like, that's just, I mean, yeah, I mean, in the mid, like I so said, those guys in the Midwest and, and, you know, even some of the North places up North, I mean, the deer are going to be bedding in one type of area and one type of area only for the most part and out here, man. I mean, in Georgia, I know for us, I mean, it, it, they could be bedded, they could be bedded on a trail. You know, they could be bedded. There's, I don't think there's any hard, fast rules to the bedding, but uh, yeah, I definitely think, you know, but you know, to your point about earlier, you know, identifying the bedding, I think it's a good find, you know, find the general idea or they pretty much do bed and you can pretty much find that in, in the South too. But yeah, I, I think that's one way to, a great way to pull them out is with a call. I guess one particular thing that we've talked about here on the show before, and I don't know if you've ever noticed this, you know, in your, in your hunting adventures, but Have you ever – it's kind of like a – I don't want to say It's like a crackle. I I really don't know how to describe it. It's like a um, – I hear it when when bucks are chasing does. It's kind of like a – it's like a – I don't know. We've talked about it. I can't remember. You know, if if Kelby was here today, he'd be able to tell you exactly what it is because, you know, but I've only ever heard it once. But it's kind of when they're chasing – I've heard people say it sounds like a four-wheeler sometimes on their property that they, they thought somebody was riding a four-wheeler because it's like, yeah I mean, it's real long. and Yeah. And, and but I've also like, I've heard like a, we, we've talked about before, I heard like a buzzing, like a, like a, it's almost, I wonder if that's just, are they, are they grinding their teeth? Are they doing something like that? I, 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 don't, I don't know. Uh, I really don't. I know sometimes, sometimes like when they're hot,
1: man, they'll have some long drawn out grunt sometimes. Um, yeah. I don't. I don't hear that. I have I have heard it in the past, but but uh, most of the time, you know, I hear like the more short, yeah, uh, t- you know, tending grunts. Not you know, but every now and then, like I said, you'll hear one with a. I mean, they'll just be ripping it.
0: Yeah, exactly. I mean, I I think yeah, I, I, yeah, I think that's why you know it's so important to I think as an outdoorsman to be you know, it, you know, I mean, some of you guys might be listening, go, I mean, what are they even talking about? I've never heard that, and it's like. You know, I'm not trying to question how much somebody's been in the woods or not, but I I would almost question, you really need to spend a lot of time in the woods sitting real still, being real quiet, and when you get, and you kind of, you need to be close to them to really hear that. Um, You know, I'm fortunate enough to hunt in a place where I can be close to them as, as I hunt them, and I can hear them pretty well. You know, and I have pretty good hearing. I can hear a lot of things, you know, real detailed, real far away usually, but you know it it's you got to spend a lot of time in the woods really i think to understand how they work but um you know um you know the other thing you you do here too is you you know you turkey calls we kind of talked about that this has been my first year turkey hunting ever um and i was i was telling john y'all that i have this box call that is uh, it's just the cheapest box call I've ever seen. I don't, I won't even say who the manufacturer is, but I got it at Walmart and it's, it's not Primo's Primo's. I'm sure makes way better calls than this, but it's just a box call. It was the cheapest box call they had. And I, and I, I think I bought it like two years ago thinking I was going to try this and I find this is the fun year I finally did it and I went out there and I told John it sounded like I was calling a chimpanzee trying to do a yelp and just but I got a goller to call back at me and, th- and that kind of just that just that guttural you know that sound down in the uh, deep in the woods I mean it was just the biggest adrenaline rush like you know and I mean I don't know I mean most white tail hunters I think we're all I, I know me I'm always chasing that that adrenaline rush right before right when a deer walks out it don't matter if it's a doe or a fawn it's just it's that exciting adrenaline rush. Just it gets you, in it. and that's just what it reminded me of, you know. And again, I, I encourage everybody. If you don't, I mean, I know in Georgia when we buy our deer tags, we have turkey tags with it, you know, for turkey season. I think that's right. Yeah. Hopefully, I'm right. <laughs> I'm out here illegally hunting. Um, uh, but anyway, yeah, I uh, I definitely. Um, I, I It's a whole new passion now. I think. I think I've done caused a problem. Now my wife's probably like, "Great, he's <laughs> on to another animal." But uh, man, I, I, I've learned a lot, but I, I haven't learned hardly near enough. But uh, uh, I started out, like I said, with this box call. And I, I mean, you, have you started making the box call yet? Or
1: no, I, I hope that's in the works for uh, next turkey season. Right. Okay. Uh-oh.
0: But I'm not currently making any yeah, box calls. I, I will definitely be getting. I will definitely be on your next box call. So I've, I've gotten. I've gotten where I can do a little bit, but I can't do. I, I, I'm not. I'm not super. I, I'm definitely. Not, I'm not entering any competitions anytime soon. But I definitely am looking forward to your. Uh, you know. So tell me about your pot call. Like, I mean, it, it, like, what, what goes into it, and how does it all work? Well, a uh, uh, a pot call is is that is literally
1: a turn pot with a center pedestal in the center. And uh, you have a uh, calling surface, and you have a soundboard. Um, the the calls that I make, the uh, the uh, calling surface is slate. I make three and a half inch pot calls. Right now, I make them out of cedar, mahogany, and cherry. Um, all my calls have purple heart strikers and uh, a matching top. You know, for whatever wood the pot is. Um, but they're actually a lot of work, and they can be cantankerous, especially if you're turning them by hand. Yeah. Um, I probably – it probably takes me about – I probably have about two to three hours invested in uh, every call I build. Um, and sometimes they work out, and sometimes they Uh-oh. don't. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah,
0: especially if you have a quality. I mean, um, I know some uh, pot calls uh, – I think it's is it Crystal – Mm-hmm. Is that right? Yeah. Okay. They'll, they'll, I mean, what's the difference between a slate and a crystal uh, surface? Um, you know, to
1: me, some of the some of the crystal surf surfaces do sound a little more realistic than okay. the slate. Um, they also can be a little louder. Um, slate's not so loud. Uh, you know, slate slate calls are a very old old uh, call. They've been around for a long time. Um, I personally like slate. You know, they're easy to use for somebody to get started with. Um, they make a great all-around call. The only the only downside to slate is uh, if they get wet, they 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 will quit working on you. You know, till they dry back out.
0: Gotcha. So maybe on a drizzly day, not so good. Huh? Yeah. Gotcha. So, and you said you know, for somebody just just starting into turkey hunting and just learning how to call, would you say I mean a pot call is probably the way to go to get started to learn how to get going and be the most versatile with it, you think?
1: Yeah, it, it's a very, very versatile call. If somebody was starting out turkey hunting um, and didn't know anything about it, and didn't really want to put in a whole lot of time to mouth calls and stuff like that, uh, a slate call and a, for a basic a basic turkey hunting call package would be a slate call and a box call. A slate call is good because you can get, you know you can, you can tone it way down, very soft calling, or you can get very loud and aggressive with it. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, on those really windy days or, or when you're really trying to get some uh, sound to cover distance, that, that box call is hard to beat, but it doesn't have the the nuances and stuff. A lot of times, um, that a slate call does.
0: I I try to get it to purr. I try to get it to, I mean, I could, I could get it to cut a little bit. Uh, I mean, and again, it's a kind of a cheaper call. It's, it looks seems like it's made out of maple. Is that what you see with the? I don't know if it's maple. Oh, they or
1: make them out of all kinds of things. Yeah, I think Uh-oh. it's made out of
0: maple, and it's just I don't know if that has something to do with it necessarily. But I mean, I, I can I mean I can get it to cut a little bit, but I can't do it in quick succession like you really like you hear a lot of them doing the wild. Yeah, and that's that's my biggest thing when any kind of calling and you know and like we talked before. I mean that absolute chess master the turkey. You can get a gobbler to come back come back to you again. For me, not knowing what the heck I'm doing or how I'm supposed to be doing it or nothing. To, I mean, for me, like an like an idiot to get to, to go in the woods and for that cheap old box call and get that joker to call to me and, and, and almost come to me is to me tells me like, OK, these animals are very responsive to the, these vocalizations, you know, and I, all the more reason. But from but I will say it, it's truly a chess match when it comes to calling a gobbler.
1: It really is. Um, there's a couple of things you need to uh, you, before you call it a turkey. You really need to set yourself up for success. Um, you know, I live up here in, in the Piedmont region of Georgia. It's very hilly, and uh, like I, I've learned, I've learned through the, through hard knocks. I've had some success calling turkeys down in bottoms, but if a turkey can see where you are, and if you're calling, say, in an open area, a, a lot of times they're not going to come in if they can if they can visually see where you're at. They know that hens not there and they know it's a setup and they're going to lose interest pretty quick. Um you're better off, you know, staying on top of ridges, um and calling and also try to keep some kind of dirt mound or fallen timber or something in between you and that turkey that, that turkey has to look over to be able to see. Um, that's going that's going greatly increase your chances uh, like I said if a turkey can visually see where you're at more than likely uh, once he realizes that there's no hen there he's probably not going to come in
0: gotcha that's where the decoys come in <laughs> yeah <laughs> so I mean and again you know uh, a lot of hard knocks I've been learning <laughs> too so I'm taking them all now but I'm hoping to, I'm hoping here in a couple of weeks I'll have you'll have me a call or I can you know <laughs> yeah. take care of them right before the season is but yeah. So, but uh, man, I, I've learned just over the uh, I mean, just from watching them in the wild, that they, you know, it, it's almost. It's just. It's they're just fascinating animals to me. I mean, they 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 have they have great, really good. Full, I think it's full range vision, but they have no depth perception. I think that's I think that's how I understood it. But they but because of that, they also I mean, you can see everything. I mean, they see everything you do. They can see. You're, I mean, so you got to really be camoed up good and you got to really, you know, watch what you're, you know, yeah, if you're trying to sneak up on one, you go, I mean, I, I, and I say all that to say, I, man, I have absolutely had them barrel in on me in deer season where I've been on the ground. Even I've had a, had a, I had a hen step on my foot one time walking through the woods and I remember thinking to myself, how in the world are these birds, these birds have, they have this, the best eyes in the woods, and they can be this stupid, I swear. But, like, if you go try to... I, and I guess, like, you know, me and my dad always have this joke, like, yeah, the only reason we don't turkey hunt at the time, you know, we don't turkey hunt because, you know, during deer, deer season, we'll see them all the time. But then when it comes to turkey time to turkey hunt, we ain't going to be able to see them. <laughs> they won't be there. Well, a lot of that has to do with... Uh, I see
1: turkeys all the time during deer season. You know, they, they're just following the same food sources the deer are following. That's true. And a lot of times... Where you find those turkeys at during deer season, they're probably not going to be there because they done moved on somewhere else. Gotcha. Um, And, you know, to me, uh, I think sometimes we give turkeys more credit than what they actually do.
0: I I think Uh, that's true. I have a lot of respect for that bird. But then again, when I see them do the dumb things that they do during deer season or screw my hunt up more than (laughs) anything, I, I, I go, you know. It does make me question. So, yeah, I'm sorry. So, you're saying we give them, don't give them enough. We don't we give them too much credit, you think? Yeah,
1: uh, you know I, what, what makes turkey hunting hard is, you know, in in nature, the, the hen's supposed to go to the gobbler. The gobbler's not supposed to come to the hen. Really? Yes. Okay. So, so we're we're deliberately making something harder on ourselves but, and, than than just, what it's supposed it, to be. It in sounds nature, like you the know? logic
0: of a deer hunter. You know, yeah. like we're so used to the bucks coming to the does. any, I mean, like, because, you know, we'll put out doe estrus or whatever. And, you know, we're we're used to seeing them get chased all over the woods. But, you know, I guess it's almost like I I guess that's like, you know, maybe whitetail hunter syndrome or something. We're thinking like, well, that joker, we ought to have him primed and ready. He should be coming straight on in for a party. And and that's not how it works in the the wild. You know, I've never. And see, that's also because usually about this time of year, my protein feeders are full. And my mineral sites are established, and I'm good. Uh, I'm at home. I'm fishing somewhere usually. So yeah. now, now that I'm starting a turkey hunt, I'm like, well, <laughs> a whole bunch of new stuff to learn. And I think I'm going to benefit from it from my deer season. I'm sure will benefit from that. But yeah. So, but um, you know, you mentioned something too, man, that I I, I wanted to ask. I, now, now that I, you say it, I kind of would you think? I know in Georgia, at least last I heard, you can't hunt over turkeys over corn like we can deer is that I mean, yes I'm that's for, correct yeah. so do you think it would be and i'm pretty sure it works like the old rules used to work for deer you can hunt them over a food plot though correct yes so do you think you know guys like me and you know other guys that are deer hunters we're trying to get into tried and turkey hunting i i, I mean and i know bruce wergen would say yeah 100 you should have a summer plot or a spring summer plot um do you think i mean that's just, you know, you mentioned how they're following this deer's pattern. Um, I, I mean, I, I would that not be a good reason to have a summer spring plot for, yes. for turkey season? Cause it's going to feed your deer. It's going to keep them in the area. Uh, I mean, you would, would you say that's probably a good move?
1: Yeah, I would say that's a very good move. And you know, uh, the thing about gobblers are typically the way it works is, um, in the mornings after they fly down, uh. If it's a dominant gobbler, he's going to go to his hens and he's going to do mating or, you know, whatever they're going to do. Mm-hmm. And then at some point in that midday, he's going to break off and he's going to look for new hens. Now, typically they'll go find somewhere, you know, they can go strut, but it's it's in an open area. So so food plots, you got a, a twofold benefit. You're giving them, you know, open areas where they can go strut and be seen because that's, that's the reason why they strut. They want to be seen. And also you're giving, you know, a food source for them.
0: Yeah. I always see turkeys. Uh, on the hunting shows, it's always on an edge of a food plot somewhere. They got the decoys out there, just outside of the wood line. The guy's up in the wood line. You know, they they hit the they, they hit the, the hit the call. Yeah, you know, here comes the gobbler crest in the hill. You know, all, coming down usually. So like uh, here here again, you know, hunting shows and how they can yeah. mess us mess us up. Uh, and then bam, the guy blasts him, and that's it. He throws gun down, runs over, steps on his neck, it's over. You know, he. Crushes a giant gobbler with four beards. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, you know, for me, I'm like, well, crap, man. You know, it looks so stinking easy, but it, I mean, I know it ain't. It can't. It's be. not. You it's know, not remotely. <laughs> right. Exactly. I mean, I, I mean, I learned that a long time ago, just by watch. You know, just being a hunter in general. Like, yeah, it is not. It is not like it is on the TV shows. You have to do a whole lot more work in playing. No, and
1: I don't come to the conclusion you're not
0: going to kill a, uh, kill a gobbler until he's ready to die. <laughs> you know what, man? I agree with that already. Like I said, I've all, I, I've had two really cool encounters with with, with some calling and stuff, and I definitely agree 100. You know, uh, it's like it's it's the biggest tease of all time because it's kind of like you know with a mature whitetail. You got a couple times a year, you're going to catch him. Uh, I, you you can catch a mature whitetail if you want to, really, but you got to pursue them the right way. There's a lot of things that have to happen, and it's you may never kill that deer for five years. But, you know, with a gobbler, you know, you may not even see that deer, but with a gobbler, you'll at least hear him. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. And that's just like such a tease. So, I mean, I think that's what makes it fun, too. I yeah. I think it's just, it's I, I never understood why people were so turkey hunting, just turkey hunting nuts but i i get it now man it's just it's too much fun like to not to not do it and i think it makes you a better woodsman too when you're trying to walk to something that has the ability to see you know like the hairs on your beard the different other colors to you know i mean they could pick you off and so it makes you way better about walking in the woods makes you way better about you know concealing yourself and ground hunting which i love doing in general for deer but uh man yeah it's it's an awesome awesome thing dude and
1: and even if you're not you know a a big turkey hunter and only go a couple times a year as a public land you know deer hunter some of my best and most productive spots i've found on public land have been through turkey season really because you're just covering so much ground i mean it's nothing you know for me to walk five miles in a day turkey hunting on public land trying to find a bird and and the whole time you're there you're you're constantly cutting deer sign
0: you know yeah absolutely i mean we a uh, matter of fact, the other day when I was hunting with my buddies in the, in the evening for turkeys, I mean, we we jumped a, jumped a couple deer. And, I mean, and I, I have friends all the time when they turkey hunt; they're constant. They find sheds, mm-hmm. you know, constantly just because where they'll get, they'll get up. I mean, I don't. I, you know, here's a question I'm going to ask about turkey hunting. And again, I know this is a whitetail podcast, and I know I promised everybody we'd be predominantly whitetail, but in honor of my my late partner, Kelby Crawford, we are going to cover a lot of other animals too. So turkeys being one of them, I. I will say I've heard a couple of things. Now, I've heard 100 yards off the roost is where you want to start. But I've also heard dadgum get up under them if you can. I don't know how you would do that and not screw, get yourself busted. I, I, what are your thoughts on, you know, when you get started on getting on them? Well, if you – the
1: best thing to do is ultimately – if it's a gobbler that has hens, it's to get between him and the hens. Okay. So if if you know what that gobbler is and you have a rough estimate of where those hens are, you're better off, it doesn't matter at that point whether you're, you know, 100 yards or 200 yards. As long as you're in between him and those hens, you stand a lot better chance of success. And, uh, you know, it's also important to kind of think about uh, where he's going to pitch down at. Like a lot of times here, they'll roost kind of midways up a hill it seems like yeah, in, in my personal experience and they'll pitch down to they'll pitch
0: to the top of the ridge a lot of times really okay yeah. so you know and that that's the exact you know at least on this one property i'm hunting that's the exact setup it's a it's a old you know I mean, there's, there's, they're, they're they're they were planted pines they're pretty mature now but the turkeys uh, roost in those pines. I mean, it looks like I'll tell my buddy. It looks like somebody just took a paintbrush and threw white paint just everywhere. Yeah, you can tell they've been be roosting up there not forever. But you know, you could walk halfway up. You know, it seems that's where all that sign is. You know, where they've been roosting. So, so when they come down, they'll be coming down more on the top side of that, right? Yeah. Okay.
1: All right. Yeah, like I said about halfway to three quarters something like that is generally where they roost at in, in hilly country now you know and and you get further into like south georgia and stuff that's that's getting a little bit out of my wheelhouse a little bit as far as locating turkeys you right
0: know. gotcha I, i've uh i've learned man i'm telling you I, i've just i've had such an it's been an amazing experience for me and i'm i'm so jacked on it now i mean we're not we are not definitely not going to be i mean i I don't think I'll ever be able to give anybody a whole lot of advice about turkey hunting ever but uh but I st- I definitely want to learn and and get better at, at doing it. Um dude, I I tell you man, this has just been um it's just been such a great experience, you know, learning anything from anybody, but uh so um I want to talk a little bit more about your calls and then uh I, I definitely will, we'll, we'll take a look at some I'll take some pictures and we'll do some videos and take a look at different things in the shop, but uh I, I guess in, um, what advice would you give for the guys? Cause we have a few, we've got a lot of our listeners are in Georgia. A lot of them are in Alabama. If they really wanted to get a call from you. They could, but, um, for the guys that maybe can't, I mean, you, you pretty much ship nationwide if you have yeah, to I sh- I ship anywhere, probably in the continental U S. Gotcha. So, um, you know, when, when you're looking, having a guy call you up for a call, uh, I mean, are they almost always a hundred percent custom, or is, do you have like some standards that you'll keep on hand? That like, hey, I got a predator call, you can get, and you, this is a good one.
1: I try to keep calls on hand, but you know, this, like I said, right now, this is a part-time endeavor for me. So, right, uh, you know, sometimes I, I try to keep them on hand, but but that's not always a guarantee. Gotcha. Uh, before you order anything, if you decide to order anything, it's best to call and or excuse me not yeah you can call me or you can email me or contact me through uh, our facebook business page um i'd highly recommend that you know get in contact with me so i can see what i
0: got in stock right i mean i think like anybody i'm sure like anybody else materials are not easily easy to come by at this time in in our time in our nation's history i have a whole other podcast about that but um uh definitely so they can get you on facebook you got an instagram too yeah we can, they can we can go to um uh and obviously we'll be sharing it on our Thursdays real uh, uh instagram and uh facebook page um you know you you do a lot of uh um different types of wood right it's not just like it's not just like your standard pine or you do cedar or do you only do cedar i mean
1: no i do uh I turn a call I try to turn calls out of uh, tra- I try to turn calls out of what has traditionally been used in the southeast um sometimes it, if I can find it sometimes I'll use persimmon um really <laughs> uh, Osage orange um uh, dogwood um I also uh, right now I, I've got a pile of uh cherry slabs that I'm bought so I, I'm trying really hard to work through those that it's, is awesome The cherry's hard as a brick and I'm about ready to be done with it that's but, awesome <laughs> um, I, so. I do turn cedar when I got it and I really like cedar calls uh, the cherry's a lot more durable it's, it's harder to break but but uh, if you drop it you know especially slate
0: calls but man
1: that uh, cedar is some pretty stuff
0: yeah Did, it, it, would you say like I mean does, I, and I know we were getting ready to close out but uh, now I, I've got more questions now <laughs> um so, I mean, as a type of wood, do you think that affects the tone of the call? Yes, gotcha. It, it does, and, and
1: it's very nuanced. You right. know, um, s- certain calls more than others. Gotcha. Um, a lot of you know a lot of it's esthetics. I guess you say. Are, gotcha. Uh,
0: I, I would say. I mean. I mean. In, in turn, I guess in for the grunt call. I mean, do you, do you hear? I mean, for me, like, you know, I'm, I'm a musician. I, I First thing I ever learned how to play was a saxophone. So that requires, you know, that there is, there is a, there's a wood element there, you know, like yeah. different reeds have different, um, you know, I think the, you use more plastic reeds, right? Yes. right. I, no. Okay. I think, I don't know if they're, and I could be wrong. I don't know if there, you, you can use a wood. I don't think a wood reed would not work well for a call, but it could, I guess, but.
1: No, I don't, I, I, I uh, would like to eventually getting into making my own reeds and soundboards, but one of the things i that I'm trying to do is keep calls affordable custom calls affordable for the average hunter. Yes, you know uh there's a lot of guys that like make duck calls and stuff, make their own custom reeds and uh make their own uh sound boards, but that stuff gets it's time consuming and it gets very expensive, yeah, and you know especially when it comes to like things like grunt tubes. Um, there's a price point that that you have to reach you know and then it starts getting excessive for for the average working fellow
0: right i i mean uh there's one mainstream call uh that i'm thinking of and it's a decent call again not doesn't really have the nuances that i like from your calls but um but nevertheless you could probably get it you could credit a deer with a call um that call but you're looking at fifty sixty dollars and i'm like you know granted mass production i understand you got to cover your costs, but well, you know if you're in business you understand that but yeah at the same time at the end of the day i'm a regular hunter I, uh, you know i'm doing good just to afford to feed these deer yeah. keep them keep my trails clear and yeah. hang my stands uh you know for you know Blowing sixty dollars on a grunt call, man. Ah, you know that's a couple of bags of protein feed. That's yeah. a forest draw for me. That's a half a tank of gas. Shoot, half a tank of, of a gas. <laughs> shoot, you could almost get a lock on for that. Yeah. That's halfway decent. So I kind of don't want to necessarily, uh, you know, blow that kind of money. But uh, your calls. I mean, what what do your uh, grunt tubes range from price wise? Right now, forty bucks. That's man. I, th- I think for a custom call, like I don't think you can get any better. And the one that sounds good, that sounds right to me. Yeah. Um, and again, we'll have all of this on the. I, I'm going to try to record some of these sounds too you guys, so y'all can hear it. Uh, and we'll have that available on our page too, if that's cool with you. Yeah, that's can fine. You, we'll, be, we'll record a few of the calls. Um, but uh, and then Turkey, what are you? What are the what are the slate calls going for with the striker and everything? Uh, fifty. 50 So, I mean, yeah, you can you can find some cheap walmart one stuff like i got guys but i, I again i think it's it kind of goes back to do you really do you really want to have something nice that sounds right that sounds good or do you want to pay you know so uh i don't know man uh, to me calls that it makes the difference on on how good it is And these are hand made they're quality uh john is not letting them out this shop without his personal seal of approval and he's I mean, from what I've heard, seen these products, they are—he's a very much of a stickler for quality on sound. So, and like I said, me being a musician and audio guy, like I'm very, very particular about sound and how things should sound. So, uh, man, go, y'all, go check out his page, uh, Piedmont Calls on Facebook, Piedmont Game Calls, Piedmont on Game f- f- Calls, Piedmont Game Calls on Facebook, Piedmont Game Calls on Instagram. Yep. Uh, and then uh, you know, message John. You can, you'll see his contact information, his email, phone. Call them up, order yourself some calls. I mean, right before, I mean, we're still, we're in a turkey season right now. So he might can get you a couple uh, turkey calls in time, maybe. But if nothing else, go ahead and get your grunt tubes figured out for the year. Get those in. Uh, and you'll actually, uh, can, do you do engraving on them? Set. Uh, I, I, I can
1: uh, write your name. I got some uh, micro pens, and mm-hmm. on some of my slate calls, I can write custom made for and put your name on it, mm-hmm. and then apply finish over it. Um, right. I, as of as of now, I'd like to eventually get into like actual engraving, but I hadn't invested in that yet. Yeah, gotcha.
0: so. But yeah, he, again, he'll he'll it'll be your custom call made for you. Uh, I'm gonna get a couple calls uh, for myself, my my dad, and I'm gonna get a couple. Of, uh, in memory of kelby th- kind of thing and uh will um we might even give away a couple of these calls at the end of the year i just don't know i've taught y'all but we're gonna be doing these giveaways soon and uh there may be a couple of people calls in there i don't know we'll see so anyway all right well john dude i am so thankful you had a chance to come. i mean i had a chance to even come meet you hang out here at your shop and just hang out with you and 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 talk to you about hunting man it's just it's been a it's been a real pleasure but uh yeah guys uh Piedmont game calls uh on social media go check them out as always please uh like subscribe review uh the Thirst is Real podcast on Apple iTunes Spotify Stitcher or Podbean or wherever you uh get your podcast uh please leave us a nice little review some stars appreciate it if you like us great if you hate us then uh, I guess you hate us so but we love y'all so all right, man. Well, thanks. I show, sure appreciate it, brother. All right. Thank all right, you man.